think it's important to know that likes does not equal sale, hype does not, not equal sale because that is not what your focus should be. Your focus should be on your product, the quality of your product, the way you market your product and your brand and the way you offer it. From Caribbean Ideas Synapse in Trinidad and Tobago, this is Uptick, a podcast that's part of the Snapshot Podcast Network. Uptick is a show that brings you the stories of the Caribbean entrepreneurs and innovators who are building the next generation of great companies. These are the stories you don't typically hear of how these leaders are working to build brands and businesses that have the potential to not only improve the Caribbean world, but also help the Caribbean world make an impact on the global business stage. Their stories will move you, inspire you, push you to take action, or maybe help spark your next great idea. I'm your host, Chike Farrell. And in today's show, you learn how a desire to create a lifestyle fashion brand that's grounded in customer love, while also balancing a commitment to ethics and impacting the community, drives today's guest. You learn how this citizen of the world approaches reinvention, brand extension, and why she isn't afraid to follow her gut and commit, even when others say she should do otherwise. She's learned that being authentic and customer-focused in all that you do can lead to sustainable business success versus chasing popularity without substance. I was actually born in Brazil, in Rio. Um, my father is Trini, but my mother is Brazilian. And when I was eight, we moved as a family to Trinidad. And I lived in Trinidad from eight to 18 and then I moved to Miami to go to university and I stayed there for quite some time. Um, and then I hopped over to LA for a little bit. And, and then about two, three years ago, um, I'm not really exactly sure if it was two or three, maybe, right. more, but not too long um, ago, I moved back home. So I'm now back in Trinidad and Tobago. <laughs> oh, and so when did you start your um, Chandra Maharaj designs? So I started right after I graduated from fashion design school. And I believe that was like in 2010, mm -hmm. 2010, 2011. Um, and um, I was in Miami at the time. And so the, the root of my business actually was planted while I was in Miami. And it has since flourished internationally, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but, you know, it was really, it has really been nurtured right here at home, which is nice. Great. So, so you grew up in, in Brazil and all the way through, through till, till you were eight. What, what part yes. of Brazil? So I was born in Rio, but then we moved to Vitoria, which is one state above Rio, which is where my mother's from and my sister was born and my dad worked for many years. Um, uh, but, you know, every time I go back, I always go back to Rio because that's where my heart is. <laughs> I, know. I love, I love, um, I love Brazil, love Rio. Um, yes. and it's certainly one of my favorite places. So I'm, I'm certainly envious of you um, getting, <laughs> getting to grow up there and, you know, and spend time there. So you speak, you speak Portuguese and the yes. whole, the whole nine yards? Yes, I speak Portuguese, English and I'm pretty good at Spanish as well. Okay. Okay. Great. Oh wow! You say I, I like that. Yeah, I have a I have a bucket list of um, 
of uh, getting to speak a few languages and uh, and that's certainly one of them. So okay, all right, good. So now now I'm inspired um, once again to to continue on that to continue on that journey. So so when I'm gonna dive in, um, you know, so so you have this experience of you know you kind of you, you you sort of straddle different worlds, right? You yes. you know grew up in Brazil and then you also know Trinidad and Tobago. Um, and then you spend time abroad. So how have those different experiences kind of like come together to shape your, your worldview? Um, and, and how does that play into how you approach business? Well, I always say that I'm a child of the world because I feel like I've been able to kind of pull the good parts of each one of those countries and cultures and people and I've learned so many things, you know, from all of the, and, and not even just these countries where I've lived, but also the countries that I've managed to travel to. You know, I love traveling and, and that's a really important part of life for me. It's, it's, it's a very valuable thing for me to do. Um, and so I tend to observe and, you know, take what I think is for me and, and fulfills me as, as a human being, as a business person, you know, as a woman and things like that. So I'm very multifaceted, I think would be a good word to describe it. <laughs> Great. Uh, so you formally studied in the sort of like fashion and design world. So so what what was it that led you to, to, to go down the path? Because, you know, sometimes we talk with folks who, you know, made a big switch, but also sometimes we talk with folks who, you know, are doing the thing that they actually studied and they kind of sort of knew. So did you always know that that was the path that you wanted to go on? So I actually have a degree in international business and I did that degree first. And after I did that degree and I started doing my master's is when I realized that I did not want to continue um, doing my, I was doing a master's in international business as well. And I didn't want to do that. And I had I always tell this story and, and it's kind of like one of those very cliche stories, but I literally had one of those moments where I was like, like tapping my forehead against the door of my living room thinking like, what am I doing? Like, you know, this is not what I want to do. Like what, what's the right thing to do? And like at the very moment, this commercial for um, the Art Institute, which at that time, which it probably still is um, a part of Miami International University, the, the commercial popped up and it just like that switch went off, you know, and you kind of think that people tell these stories and it's not a real thing, but it was like a real actual experience for me. And I just knew at that very moment that I needed to switch my major. So I dropped out of um, my master's program and I moved to my fashion design degree. Okay. All right. Yeah. So then as you started to make that, switch then so so it actually was a little bit more of a you know almost like a uh, an aha moment for you as yeah, you went but, right but it was kind of a supplemental type thing because i think i've always known that i was a business person as as well as a creative you know left brain and right, right brain and um as difficult as difficult as it is to switch sometimes i knew the importance of knowing how to do business before I created a product to do business with. Right. So I have absolutely no regret. I just think that both of those things, both of those degrees were very, very important um, for me to be able to do what I'm doing right now. 
Got you. So then, you know, so you go, you you do the degree and you you you, you learn and you're in a place that, you know, that, that there's a fair amount of fashion and, um, and and entertainment and lifestyle brand and so on. So what did you pick up from, you know, from sort of that that second set of formal training that that sort of, you know, translated into into you moving further in this in this space? Well, that's where I learned that it's not all glamorous. You know, that's when you're able to actually learn to do the work. And there's different types of fashion designers, and, and it's, it's important to explain the difference because there's the fashion designer that just has an idea, goes to a seamstress, gets it done, sells it. You know, that fashion designer doesn't have the understanding, um, the technical understanding of things. Um, that fashion designer doesn't know how you know to draw croquis and um, consider the construction aspect of things, and so it's very different. You know, there's and, and it's okay. There's different types, and they're all fine. But in my particular case, going to fashion design school and learning all of those very important details and aspects of the fashion design industry, um, it really changed my perspective and my ability to design but not only design to market and to sell you know so those are all really really important parts of being a designer right yeah no it's interesting because um you know now as i understand you you know you started off in you know in a in in one place but has certainly been able to kind of expand into into other areas so so you talk a little bit about you know when you when you started your company um what was the I guess the the opportunity that you were trying to to, to tackle, right? Because there, there there are lots of design houses and there's you know lots of fashion and and lots of creators out there. So when you're thinking about okay, well, I'm going to start this thing. What was that starting process like for you mentally? What were you trying to you know fill into? So, great question. <laughs> I knew that I was going to be creating a path that had never been created before. Um, I knew that there were things that I was willing to do and there were things that I was not willing to do. And I knew that none of it was going to be easy. And I also was very aware that there was nobody that had done this before me. So there was nobody that I could look up to to say, oh, let me use this person as a mentor because this person did exactly what um, I want to do. So in my particular case, I never wanted uh, an actual store. I wanted the liberty to be able to run my store from whatever country I'm in at that point in time. Um, and I wanted, of course, I didn't want the overheads, but I, but basically I wanted the freedom to be able to sell from anywhere in the world to anywhere in the world. Um, so that was uh, uh, one of my foundation pieces. Um, and I'm not so sure that that has been done before. It may or may not, but not the way that I am doing it or I've done it, you know. And then on top of that, um, there's different elements to my business. Like, for example, my production for my personal brand is done in Brazil. Then, you know, when I was in Miami, it would be shipped to Miami and I will ship out of Miami. Now that I'm in Trinidad, it's shipped to Trinidad and I ship out of Trinidad um, internationally. So um, that's also something that's that's different. You know, um, eventually I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm going to need to have a warehouse that, um, you know, the staff in that warehouse does my shipment for me. But for right now, 
for as long as I can do my shipment, for as long as I can interact with my customers firsthand, for as long as I can write that thank you note with love, you know, and attach it to my orders. Um, as long as I can put that very personalized care into my uh, work, I'm going to do it. Having this conversation, you know, during, um, you know, COVID-19, coronavirus pandemic. So, so a lot of organizations and companies are having to refactor um, their operations for a, for a remote world and a distributed world and a digital world. And you, you created that by design. So actually that's a very, very convenient as it, as it happens. Um, but what was it about being able to, you, you said, you know, I want to be able to, to, to work from anywhere in the world. And I also wanted to be able to sell to anywhere in the world. So sort of had that, that, um, you know, uh, almost, almost, uh, exploratory explorers mindset from the jump why why is that do you think why is that why was that important to you uh because i feel like i don't ever want to become complacent um i don't ever want to become bored in my process i don't ever want to feel limited in my process i don't ever want to lack experience in my process and um for me, the way that I keep that from happening is by traveling, you know? So my parents live in Brazil, so it's very important that I go to Brazil for a certain amount of time in the year. Um, a lot of my very close friends and family are in the US because I spend so much time there. So it's very important that I also go there every year, you know, um, nurture those relationships and those friendships. And, and the same goes for being in Trinidad. So for, as of right now, it's extremely important for me to be in three different countries at some point of the year. And um, you know, there's you know, there's little challenges here and then in making that happen and making it work well. But um, you know, I'm figuring it all out as I go along, and and that's the way I've done it for as long as I've been doing it. And um, I've been blessed to say that I have found solutions to every problem. Great. So you started off in the in the swimsuit space. Um, yes. and then now you have sort of expanded to other areas. So, so maybe walk, walk me and the listeners through, you know, where you started, um, and what you do now. Okay. So I started with swimwear because, um, well, one, it's a very logical place to start as a fashion designer. It's, um, a smaller product, um, with my customer base, it was an easy sell because of course, I was based in Miami, uh, Trinidad and Tobago, and, you know, my products were coming from Brazil. And if there's one thing that's constant in all of these places is that it's the tropical climate and the beaches, right? And so, and also growing up, I was known for, like, wearing these teeny tiny little bikinis, uh, which in Trinidad at that time was unusual. Um, and, of course, being in Miami, it's everywhere, you know? So, um, for me, it was the logical first step, although the funny thing about that is, is that uh, when I did my degree the one thing that they didn't offer was uh, how to do swimwear. So oh, okay. I, I learned how to do ready to wear, um, couture, a billion other things, um, everything but swimwear. And so I had to then now um, take everything that I learned for these different types of um, fashions and then adapt it into the swimwear industry. Um, and coincidentally, <laughs> which I don't believe in coincidences, but I'm just using that word for now. Um, my family and I had gone on a family vacation uh, to Brazil right after I graduated from, from fashion design school. And 
some of my aunts were seamstresses. And, um, and again, that light bulb went off. I was like, oh, well, maybe, you know, I can make this a family business. I can ask my aunts to sew swimwear for me and we can start there, you know, but they also didn't know how to, to uh, sew swimwear. They were more experienced in, in, in sewing clothing. So, um, you know, that was the start of um, my learning experiences and the start of my business and, you know, uh, the start of me learning how to make patterns for swimwear and how to then edit those and create a size that worked for me and my customer base and to create uh, a fit that worked for me and my customer base. And um, then once I was settled with swimwear and I was comfortable with that, I, you know, continued growing. I then stepped into fitness wear. Again, that's something that was a very big part of my life. I'm very much into fitness. And so why not um, grow into that aspect of things? And so I started with fitness wear and that did well. And then from there, I went into ready to wear. Um, that went well. And then I went into fat wear. <laughs> that went well. Um, and then I continued growing my brand into lifestyle brand. So then I rebranded from Chandra Maharaj Swimwear into Chandra Maharaj Designs, which then allowed me to continue growing. Um, and then eventually I started designing costumes for Carnival. And um, my latest venture is mealwear. So I have so many um, little bits of <laughs> um, uh what I would call limbs to my brand, you know? So right. it's a lifestyle brand and um, I've grown quite a bit. Um, and I think with time I'll continue growing, but for now I'm gonna continue um, nourishing these parts of it um, until I'm comfortable enough to keep growing past that. So it's interesting because, you know, as you've kind of shared that journey of, you know, okay, I was doing this thing and then there was this, you know, seemingly logical next step and then there was another logical step. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious because, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, can 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 challenge people who are building organizations or building businesses or brands is, like, hey, what, what is the next step and how do I make it? So for you, was that um, you know, with those, what seemed like very logical steps, were they driven by, I was getting more demand, um, or, or was it that you were seeing an opportunity? Like what was leading to each kind of sequential step? Both. Um, I definitely listened to my customers. That's a very, 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 very important part of my business. Um, I listen to their feedback. I listen to what they want. And so that way I can give them what they want, you know, um, because another part of my business is that I design so many collections throughout the year. You know, I don't do it the way that the traditional fashion designer, you know, they have like a summer collection or winter, spring, like things like that. I don't do it that way. I have, what I do is I design maybe about eight to 12 collections a year and I drop that throughout the year, you know? Um, so they give me their feedback if they want something different, if they want, you know, if I have a particular design and they want it to be a little bit more covered or a little less covered, things like that I take into consideration. Um, but also, you know, I think I've, I've learned to see opportunity when it's there. And so, um, you know, I take the risk and I kind of dive in. And if it works out, you know, we continue. And if it doesn't, on to the next. Okay. So you've done something that's interesting. Um, you know, you've put your name, mm -hmm. um, you know, forward as your brand, right? Yeah. Um, I want you to talk 
talk with me a little bit about about that, right? Um, what are the things that 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 means for you? Yeah. Um, you know, and and how do you how does that change maybe how you operate as a result? Yeah. So I've had a lot of conversations about this with um, business advisors and friends, you know, um, because, well, first and foremost, especially when I was in the U.S., my name is a very hard name for them to remember, to spell and to know how to pronounce. So that in itself um, in the business world tends to be a no-no because you want the name to be a name that you remember and you want it to be, you know, a name that they can spell and just go on Google and type it in, you know? And so that's something I had to really think about um, because uh, I was very advised against it. Um, and then of course that meant that I am now my brand. I am the face of my brand, I am my brand. And so with that comes certain responsibilities you know so i can't ever hide behind a company name i can't ever hide behind staff at the end of the day i am um my brand and so that means i have to always be 100 percent authentic um when it comes to anything that i put out and just my business practices and things like that which is okay because i'm a very honest person and that's not something that bothers me um the reason why I decided to keep my name is because my father has two daughters. Um, and that meant that if I didn't keep my name, that if I were to get married and decided to change my name, which now I can't, <laughs> um, that means that his name would have been lost. You know, And I think that, that that's a major part of why I um, chose to use my name as my a part of my brand, my brand name. Um, I also love my name, you know, and, and that's not something that a lot of people can, <laughs> to say. there's a lot of significance be behind the name, the meaning, I'm sorry, there's a lot of significance um, behind the meaning of my name and um, I hold that very dear to my heart. And so for me, um, it just made sense that I would do it regardless of the fact that I was highly advised against it. <laughs> but that's this is one of those things where like as a business person as an entrepreneur you have to make the decision that's best for you and not always necessarily do what you're told you know um i was also advised against um my logo which i designed myself with very little illustrator knowledge but i designed myself and at that time which you know like my business has been operational for almost 10 years and at that time they're like mm, well it's like three um um symbols next to each other so it's just not good for marketing and things like that and oh, but it's my business you know i that's the logo that i want it's also significant it's not just three logos not just three symbols next to each other there's a meaning to everything that i do there's a right. meaning to the moon to the heart and to the ocean um, and so this is where you have to make the decisions that are best for you and that you believe in and that and cross your fingers and hope that it works out for you in the future. Well, yeah, it, it's funny because, I, you know, I think part of the journey of being an entrepreneur is, is, is you have to sort of parse out, you know, when to take advice, when to follow advice, when to just, you know, kind of go on your own. In fact, you know, a lot of the time you're going to uh, you're going to get second guessed or, or doubted sometimes maybe it feels like you know even in my experience sometimes maybe all the time by your teams or, or or by others so the thing is really important to find that what are the things that you know 
tell you? Is it that you sort of like you follow your heart on on those decisions when you're like, okay, no, I'm going to go in my own direction, or, or is there a process you follow? How do you approach that? It's all heart. It is all heart. I am a very, very, very firm believer in my intuition. Um, if I'm doubtful, then I consider other options. But if there is no doubt in, in how I feel, then there's nothing that anybody can tell me that will change my mind. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's heart and just intuition and, 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 and faith and, and, and belief. I, I think it also has to do with my vision and, and knowing my vision and knowing what it is that I want out of this brand. Yeah, well, actually, I want to talk with you a little bit more about vision. You know, where where are you trying to take your your company and your business? You know, if you think out, you know, three years, five years further out, you know, where where, where is that? What does that look like for you? I mean, I think that I want to continue. I wanted to continue to evolve um, as a lifestyle brand, but, you know, into products that continues to make people feel beautiful, you know, loved, empowered, um, vibrant, uh, you know, and, and these are the things that I design my products with, you know, I design all of my products with intention and a lot of people don't know this, but I work on my patterns and I work on my designs. I'm very, 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 very hands-on. You know, I take two to three months every year, I go to Brazil and I, I really work, um, with my team there and sometimes by myself and, um, I put a lot of attention to detail with, with my pieces because I want the person that is wearing them to feel a certain type of way. I want them to feel amazing. I want them to feel beautiful. I want them to feel empowered. I want them to feel valuable. I want them to feel, you know, as if they're contributing something to society. So like, a lot of the things that I do, um, like for example, right now I have a short collection, um, short as in shorts, like male shorts and female shorts, and part proceeds of those, you know, part of the profits of those um, are meant to go back to the the tribes from the Amazon Indians. And at the time right. that I designed that collection is when everything was happening in Brazil, and I was actually there at the time. And I went and I visited a, 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 a Tupi Guarani tribe you know, um, in Brazil to speak with them personally, to get their feedback, to, to, to just kind of leave what the media was telling us. Because in Brazil, you were getting one set of information on the news. And, and I know that otherwise, like on Instagram and in the US news, it was something else. And so information is very conflicting. Um, and I had always wanted to go and visit them anyways, because I'm a descendant. My mother is a descendant from one of those tribes. And, and that was the perfect opportunity to kind of you know, get in the car and drive to them and um, sit down and really actually have a conversation with them one-on-one, -on -one, you know, to hear from them what it is that they need, you know? And it's really very sad because, I mean, I'm not going to get into it because it, it becomes political, but it's really very sad because they have no assistance from the government there. So it really kind of, rely, it comes down to them to kind of do all these little tourist things to be able to survive and um, take care of themselves and their families. And then for people like me, I thought well, if there's anything that I can do for them, let me create this limited edition collection where, 
um, the profits of that can then go back to them, you know? So it's not going to come back to me. It's going to go back to them. So when I go back to Brazil, which <laughs> I was planning on doing in August, um, I don't know if, you know, that's going to happen anymore, but at least um, the proceeds from that will go to them. And so you're not just buying it to look good for yourself. You're now buying it and it can also make you feel good about buying it, you know? So it, I, I want to kind of like create that, that culture that goes beyond just looking good, but also feeling good about what you purchase. When we come back, Chandra shares why cause-based business is so important for leaders and consumers to be. She'll share tips on making your way in the carnival fashion industry and explore why likes and hype in her experience doesn't necessarily equal sales. What are some of the ways that outside of, you know, your designs and your and your creative that you work to help people feel loved and to feel a connection with the brand? I realized that because I am the face of my brand, a lot of people rely on me to um, show a lot more of myself. And so that allows them to then connect to me, which then allows them to connect to my brand. Um, and because of the information that I put out, the things that I share, like my memes, for example, let's use that as an example, you know, like people kind of may not realize, but how effective those are for the people that support me. Um, sometimes I would put something very just organic, something that I would be feeling or something that a friend of mine is feeling and I post it. Um, and then the response in my DMs from that you know, oh my God, you don't know how much I feel heard or understood or, or that message was for me, you know, like little things like that. And so I'm able to connect with them past just the fashion that I'm offering. You know, I'm also offering a way to connect, a way to feel heard and understood, being relatable, things like that. Um, so I think that's one of the ways. Uh, I know that they would like me to show more of myself, more of my my personal life, more of my private life. And, you know, that's something that I'm working on. Um, I need to find a very clear boundary so that I don't feel as if, you know, my personal life isn't personal. But at the same time, I know that, you know, they want to know what I do all day. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you know, how are you coping? Like, I have a lot of people asking me how I'm coping through these times. Like, they want to know what I'm doing to cope and things like that. So, I mean, you know, I'm working on sharing a little bit more, but... Um, you know, I have to keep something sacred, so. Of course. Well, it's interesting because um, I know that one of the things that you're doing in the midst of, you know, the, the pandemic right now is you're doing some really interesting things with, with creating masks, right? Yeah. Um, you know, especially as people have to, um, you know, now kind of get the orders and follow the orders to, to do that. So, so tell me a little bit more about, about what you're doing there. So, you know, um, a few weeks ago, I had a friend of mine from New York call me. He's like, Chandra, you need to start doing masks because um, some of the New York designers had started doing masks. And, and uh, But it was something that happened like that. Like, you know, um, Corona happened. And then all of a sudden, like, people were going into overdrive creating these masks because there was a shortage. And it was just all so fast. And I remember very clearly telling him, like, if I'm going to create masks, I'm going to do masks that are... Uh, more effective than just the traditional cloth masks because for me anybody can make a cloth mask um but they're not effective 
well, I'm not going to say they're not effective, you know, because anything is better than nothing. But they're not as effective as people think they are. And that in itself creates a danger because they are now under the impression that just because they have this cloth mask on their face, that the risk is not there. You know, and, and that's something that really um, didn't sit well with me because I wanted to, if you know, like if I was going to create a mask, I wanted the product to be a really good product. And um, in my, you know, taking my time to figure it out and doing my research, my sister actually kind of pulled out her machines and started, you know, creating test masks. And, um, you know, we went through a few, you know, to be fair, she did a lot of that initial work of like just kind of testing shapes and things like that and putting the materials together. Um, and then after about, I want to say like seven, eight test masks, we, we decided that we had a really good mask, which was a three-layered mask, 100% um, cotton on the outside, a, a layer of pellet on the inside. You know, if you do the blow, the lighter test with this particular mask, you cannot blow the lighter, which means that there's already like that ad additional um, level of protection for the person that's wearing it, you know, and, and I was more comfortable putting out that mask. Now, the issue with that mask is that it's extremely time consuming to make because whereas the other cloth masks will probably take 15, 20 minutes to do, this one takes way longer than that because there's so many processes involved in making it happen, um, making it structured, make it, making it fit well. And then we sized it. So there were kid sizes, adult sizes and extra large sizes. Um, and um, we started, you know, we put it out there where for every mask sold, we will donate one. Um, and so we've gotten a lot of great, great, great feedback. We've got a lot of orders. Um, so right now we've ha we have over 500 masks cut, not all complete, but we have over 500 masks cut. Um, so we're fulfilling some orders. And once we're done with all of those orders, we're gonna go ahead and go into the production for the donation masks. Um, and so once those are done, we're going to go and target, you know, like the health centers and, and the places uh, that really need it. There are some people that did come to us asking. So I'm also sending some to some doctors in Miami that are not getting any masks at all. Um, so I'm, I'm shipping some to Miami uh, to a friend there and some to doctors in New York as, as well. You know, so it's not just in Trinidad. There's a lot of Trinidadians in the U.S. that are also in need of masks that are reaching out. Of course. Um, I think they're feeling a little bit more comfortable with these masks because of the layers and because of the protection that the average um, cloth mask isn't giving them. Um, but but for me, um, you know, this was my way of giving back and helping in the situation. You know, whenever there's something that's that that's hurting the people, you know, of my country and the world. In this case, I always think like, what is what can I do to help? You know, because for me, service is. A very very huge part of my business it's important as a human period but it's also an underlying um it's again part of the foundation of my business you know like i have always um done something every year you know multiple times a year sometimes sometimes if it's a bigger project once a year but it's extremely important um to keep that uh part of my business alive and so whatever i can do to give back i do that's powerful i mean i think that you know, finding ways to to weave in kind of like giving back, um, you know, just like a great way to to build or, or run a business. And it's of course, you know, as a, as you kind of mentioned, an experience. You know, something that that draws today's consumers. I mean, I think it's always drawn consumers to yeah. brands, but I think that now 
you know, our, our current market and our current consumers, our younger consumers, they, they want that and they're looking for that. Um, I actually want to probably dive into that new age consumer because there, there, there are lots of evolutions that have happened in the fashion space, in the carnival space as a result of um, sort of new consumers, new demands, et cetera, right? So what are some of the trends that you have seen recently that you think are noteworthy and also that you see kind of going forward, going out in the next couple of years among the kind of Caribbean fashion consumer? Well, I think, um, you know, having a, an ethical um, fashion brand or, or, or carnival brand or anything like that in the industry is um, something that's important and that people are starting to become a little bit more aware of. And it's something that I've been kind of advocating but, you know, I, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. And I know that everybody's process is very different. And everybody's, um, what's the word? You know, it takes time. It takes time for people to change the their systems, you know, the way that they've been doing things. And it takes time for them to figure out how to improve, you know. But the truth is that the fashion industry, well, the fast fashion industry, not the normal fashion industry, the fast fashion industry is horrible for the earth you know and just to be clear for those that don't know what fast fashion is fast fashion is basically the forever 21s and the h&ms and and those types of brands that have a turnaround of like days where you know uh, an actual designer will put out something into the catwalk and the next day they would have a bootleg version of it in their stores and they're selling it for five six seven eight ten dollars some ridiculous low price and what happens when you purchase from those brands, what happens is that they now have to force their their manufacturers and, and production facilities in countries like India and China and, you know, um, wherever they produce um, to produce faster at cheaper prices. Um, and that is devastating for the people that are in those production houses um, that are actually sewing, you know, they if you were to do research and see the conditions, it's horrible, horrible, horrible. And on top of that, these clothes are worn once or twice and then they're thrown away. And, you know, it just goes into like this ginormous landfill that, you know, clothes doesn't dissolve into the earth. And so what happens is that you're just kind of supporting a really, really negatively um, impacting um, habit. So when you support small businesses, local businesses, and businesses that don't do all of that, then it's really kind of, you know, it, it supports the good aspects of the fashion industry, you know? So for example, I, I hire, like uh, my team in Brazil is like, um, you know, a mother of two and she would bring her children to work and things like that. And, um, you know, then we would sit there and we would think about how we can have no waste you know, like when we're cutting, so there's no waste fabrics. And, you know, we're able to kind of like really sit down and think and brainstorm of ways of making um, our brand, like my brand, you know, our brand, because we're all a part of it really, um, as efficient and as earth friendly as possible, you know? And I think um, once other designers and um, other parts of the industry start to kind of like just making these small changes, it doesn't have to be a complete turnaround. Little by little by little, you know what I mean? Like, um, like for example, this year I had, for Carnival, I had a collection made of just leftover fabrics. 
So all of these little pieces of like little triangles that are left over when you cut a bathing suit and when you cut a pair of leggings and things like that, and they could make a little triangle bra top. All of sure. those little pieces, we joined it up with other little pieces of fabric and created a whole collection of just pieces of leftover fabrics. Wow, that's, um, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so that was another um, another way of me kind of encouraging, <laughs> um, you know, uh, my my supporters to partake in, in something that was helpful towards the earth, you know. So I mean, there's there's so many little ways of doing it, and these are just a few, but I can go on forever and ever. Yeah, no, well, that's great. So, so that's interesting. So there's so there's a trend around kind of like the demand for ethical fashion. Um, I mean, one of the other things that's interesting for me, I mean, I, I kind of like you, um, you know, split time and you know live in the U.S. or Canada, and then Trinidad for a few years and back in the U.S. now, and um, you know, so I sort of seen, for example, the Monday wear evolution. Um, over the past few years and, and, yeah. and some of the ways that Carnival kind of continues to evolve in fascinating ways. What do you see, what do you see kind of continuing to happen there over the, over the coming years in the Carnival, Carnival design space? Um, well, I think that this current situation right now is opening a lot of eyes um, to some of the processes involved in the Carnival industry that could potentially have you know, take a little bit of editing, um, a little bit of innovation, a, a few changes here and there. Um, I think that, I don't know, it's really hard to predict, but if I were to suggest something, um, I, I would say that um, they will find ways of becoming um, more ethical as well, because it would be beneficial for everybody in the long run. Um, you know, right now, as it is, um, Tribe, for example, decided to start um, recycling the feathers. So after Carnival, you can now go back to Tribe. You can drop off your your, your big backpacks. And what they will do is that they will um, use those feathers, recycle those feathers in Carnivals to come. Um, or they will sell it to other Carnival bands that are in need of those feathers. Or they will donate it, you know, I don't know, to... to um, if I'm not mistaken, to maybe like children's projects, like schools where they sure. want to do like projects, things like that. So they're not just throwing away the feathers. And so that in itself is a huge, huge, huge stepping uh, step forward. Something I'm really actually very, very proud about um, in terms of being, um, you know, a part of the Bliss, which is also part of the Tri family. Um, so I think that that's, that's a beautiful thing that they're doing. It really made me very, very happy when I saw that. And um, you know, there's also um, on the streets, they're, you know, they're doing um, re these recyclable cups. So you feel, you know, you're, yeah. I, I don't want to give you the wrong information, but at the end of the day, they're taking the steps to, um, to be as ethical as possible in an industry that in the past has, you know, had a lot of um, criticism in terms mm -hmm. of those things. Got it. And, and I'm, I'm curious as well, you know, if, if, if there's someone who's kind of, you know, looking at someone like you and they say, wow, how do I kind of break into this industry? It's an industry that, you know, especially if you're not in it, um, like me, it's actually fascinating to listen to it because you can, I have a, you know, sort of a consumer's view of it from the outside. So the things that you hear, oh, well, I don't know, it's, you know, it's, it's competitive and it's cutthroat and it's this and it's that and it's hard to break in. You know, how, how do you see the opportunity for someone who has a similar ambition to kind of break in? What are the kinds of things that people can do that give themselves a shot at, you know, 
getting seen and, you know, becoming a designer for a band? Is it, because some people might say, oh, is it, you have to just know the right people. And I don't write people, so I can't get in there. Um, what are some of the ways that someone can kind of for make a band their or in general? Well, I would say for a band, let's just kind of stay okay. in the carnival. If I want to be interested in designing in the carnival space, how, how do people find a way to, to, to break in there? Um, yeah, it's a little tricky. <laughs> you see, the thing is that they, they always provide anyone the opportunity to design and show a costume. Um, but there's so many um, uh, there's so many rules and regulations, like there's so many processes that you have to go through to, to get the costume to the point where it's ready. You know, even for me, sure. um, you know, and I've been very transparent about this in the past and I have a great mentor, you know, who's Monique, but um, designing costumes for me have been extremely tricky because it's a completely different process from designing for my own brand. I am now designing for this powerhouse and and they have these set rules and regulations from decades before me you know and um they're very specific about their product and how it looks and so you know you have to be very willing to work with them to make sure that what you design is approved by them you know and and for a designer who never designed for anyone else but myself that was a new experience for me but i actually really enjoy it because i'm learning so much Every year I learn so much more, you know, but even for me, it's not, it hasn't been an easy process. You know, it's been a lot of sweat and tears and a little bit of blood here and there. And, you know, um, and it's very long process, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm always in love with, with the costume that ends up being the final product. Um, so I know a lot of people want to be a part of it, but a lot of people don't really know what it takes to be a part of it. A lot of people are like, oh, well, I have an idea for a costume. Like I've been playing carnival for all along. I want to make this costume and try to have tribe, you know, sell it to tribe. And, and, and sometimes, you know, that's, it's a false, uh, hope. It's a, you know, like that concept of it, it's just a bright idea. And so I think that when people are really, 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 um, really really mean it they kind of find a way of showing that costume you know because people that are not actual designers outside of carnival have shown costumes you know right um i've seen them and so i think that when you really really want it you find a way of making things happen and that's how i how i think about life period yeah that's 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 true I know that's not the answer you wanted but no no i think that there are there are no there are no there are no kind of like pre predetermined pathways from an answer standpoint. I mean, I think it's 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 good for people to to sort of understand, you know, both um, both uh, you know the ideal, but also the also I think the reality of of things. I think what I what I took away from what you said is is that you know it's not just an easy hey I want to do it you kind of go do it. You have to really demonstrate some understanding or some ability to learn and understand about the process about what's needed and then you then i think you started to get into you know what might be interesting which is i think you know if you go through that journey and then you're trying to find a way to be found or to be noticed right um you know, there's always this idea of getting discovered in the in the creative space or the entertainment space do you think that that's more a function of what you put out and you have to kind of put out and put out and put out things consistently. Um, and, and that if you do that and you do that well, 
then good things will come? Or do you think that there's, um, you know, there's some other things that people do or they have to go, go find ways to make their own way too? Well, I think there's, you know, two ways to do it. Um, I think that there's the authentic way to do it, which is when you are authentic to who you are as a designer, to the product that you're putting out, to the quality that you're offering, um, you know, and your heart in the process. And then there's, you know, the other way of doing it, where you kind of go above and beyond and do things for attention versus, you know, you just, ah, I'll just say this nicely. <laughs> You know, where you go a different route, where you, you 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 do things to get the attention first, and then after you get the attention, then you put out something. Then you're trying to create exactly. the substance. You know, yeah. so you're not you're not getting the attention from your product. You're you're getting the attention for yourself, and then pushing the product. Mm -hmm. And it works both ways. You know, it really just has to do with who you are um, as a designer, as a creative, as an artist. And how you choose to market yourself, market your product and your brand, um, and what's more important to you, you know? Because I always there's something that I always say, and I think that if there's anything that I would like, if somebody who's listening to this podcast and you know is new to the game, if there's anything that I would like them to take away from this, is that likes does not equal sales. Hype does not equal sales. It can help but it doesn't, you know? And this is something that I've learned from experience. Now, this is from my personal experience. I cannot speak for anybody else, but I know for a fact that there's a lot of people that have a lot of hype, um, a lot of likes and no sales. And I will give you a particular, uh, a very specific example of mine where I would post a picture, whether it's myself or model, and the ones that get the least likes are the ones that I sell the most because people, instead of staying there and liking that picture, go directly to the website to purchase. You know, and that's and yeah. that's my experience as a designer with an online store. I'm not saying that this is true for for every designer and everybody in the game. I, I can only speak for myself. And of course, you you, you touch on a, you know one of my favorite subjects, which is marketing and. Uh, you know, you've found some interesting ways, you know, beyond your own social media presence to to further expand and extend through kind of like connecting with influencers and 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 so on. So, you know, for marketers out there, brands out there, people out there, you know, how, how did you kind of come to the to the idea of you know I'm going to connect with others and you know and kind of expand and and drive it that way. Yeah, you know, I think this is probably like the question that everybody wants an answer to because everybody always asks me, like, how do you do it? Um, let's see how, you know, I can give you some of the things that have has happened and then, you know, we can just make an assumption that these kind of correlate and, and opportunities kind of come my way. Um, but before I went into my business full-time, I worked... Um, at some clubs in South Beach. I was a VIP director, which means that I, um, you know, kind of met a lot of people and uh, some were influencers, some were celebrities and athletes and things like that. And, and I don't think that anything necessarily came out of my um, relationships with athletes and um, uh, influencers back then. But what it did allow me to do is 
be able to have a relationship with these people where I never felt inferior to them, where I have always felt on the same level. And I think this is where a lot of people kind of go wrong. Like when you feel as if these people are, uh, you know, like superior to you, like they're, you know, more important or too famous to, to, you know, to work with you or wear your pieces and things like that, you kind of like put fair first and you don't take the risks and, um, you know, start conversations that you should. And so I think for me, I just kind of really just started conversations or I knew somebody that knew somebody that would put me on or I would, you know, you know, when I lived in LA, I met a few people there and I kind of made connections there. And, and, and that was a very big part of the reason why I went to LA. I knew that I um, needed to be there to be able to connect with certain people. Um, and luckily for me, the universe has aligned me with some other people, you know, and that's how it's been. It's never really been, it's not to say like I have an agent that knows these people and they go and connect. It has always, it has always been very organic. Um, it has always been, you know, um, either referral or me directly contacting them or them contacting me and reaching out to me. You'll be surprised at how many people that you will never believe have reached out to me. Um, you know, and I, and I say that very humbly. Um, and, um, and again, I think it has a lot to do with the product that I put out, um, the quality of the product, you know, word of mouth is a very, very, very powerful thing. Um, and, um, and it, you know, it just kind of worked out. I, I kind of, I put myself in that frequency where, you know, I want to attract abundance and opportunities and, and um, you know, open doors. And I, I think, you know, for me, this is one of those um ways that I can tell that story where people see that, you know, there's these influences that, you know, the world knows and that they are, you know, rocking this very small brand, you know, small yeah. but growing. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, I want to kind of, you know, I always like to get, um, you know, introspective as we, you know, as we start to kind of get to, to, to the tail end of our, of our conversation like this, you know, the, a lot of people see the good side of building something, building a business, yeah. building a brand. They see the they see the output. Um, they they don't get to see the challenge. You know, they don't get to see the the hard work. They don't get to see the fears or the or the pains that kind of come along with it. Um, what's an example that you can share of you know something not going right? Um, you know, oh, a big bump yeah. in the road that that you had to, you know, fight through and, and, and overcome as you've been kind of trying to, to, to build, to build your brand. Yeah. Well, there's so many, you know, because I've been doing this for a long time and as you grow, you know, these little trials and tribulations tend to uh, get a little bit bigger and a little bit more complicated and a little bit more legal and a little bit, you know, um, more international. So, um, you know, I can give you a few examples and, um, Let's see, where should I start? So one of the issues that I, I um, encountered from the very beginning would be, um, you know, creating a product that worked uh, for my international market in terms of sizing and fit um, and cuts and, um, you know, taking into consideration different curves and body types and, um, you know, my product is catered to all women and I know and I say that with pride so you know maybe one piece wouldn't work for someone but another piece would 
you know, and, and that's something that I take very, very seriously. And um, when you're selling on a website, you have to be aware that you're now creating a universal product and that you have to find a way to cater to multiple women of multiple sizes and shapes and colors and things like that. And so that I think was, you know, my first biggest lesson where I had to sit down and work on these patterns and figure out this sizing that would work um, for me to be able to sell online where I wouldn't have some crazy amount of exchange need where, you know, it doesn't fit somebody and they, you know, so I'm in Trinidad and I'm shipping to Germany and it gets there and it doesn't fit the customer there and then she has to ship it back and I have to ship another one and that's all unnecessary cost and, and that's something that I've kind of worked really hard to eradicate in my business. I have very, very minimal returns for exchanges. Um, I don't do refunds, but I only do exchanges and that's something that I had to make a decision um, uh, a long time ago. And so I only do exchanges and, um, you know, I can probably count in my two hands the amount of times that I've done that. Right. And that's because I've worked really, really, really hard to really create patterns um, for the universal body for, for all women. You know, so that, that was one very challenging thing that I think any new designer should really take into account. You have to sit down, you have to work on those patterns, you have to learn how to make patterns and how to edit them. You cannot be a designer just fully reliant on a seamstress to create a product for you you know these are things that are important to know especially now you have so much time do some online classes you know figure it out youtube there's so many ways to learn um so that's you know one big hurdle for me and luckily i've, I've found the right um way to solve that problem and then you know as i grew um you know i'll give you so shipping out of Trinidad used to be a real real yeah, difficult right. thing to do yeah yeah, because especially when you're used to shipping out of Miami and LA and, you know, like the postal service there is so efficient, um, takes absolutely no time. You, you know, and then you come to Trinidad and you have to like literally hand write your um, labels and you have to literally go into the post office and stand in line to ship your products, you know, and it was a challenge when I started doing that here. But, you know, like I would go to the post office every week. And so the, the people in the post office, office started realizing that it was just so time consuming for all of us because I will go in there with like 20, 30 orders and they have to like manually process each one of these and it was just not efficient and you know <laughs> they would start like telling me they would start giving me things um to make it more efficient at home less time consuming for them there um but um and then eventually we would switch to DHL it was it was a process um, but I've now got to the point where I'm shipping enough orders that I'm working with DHL um, directly for international orders. And so they come to me, they pick up orders. Hey, you know, everything is much easier. I don't have to handwrite anything. Right. Um, but this only, this only, this switch only happened a few months ago. So prior to that, I was literally handwriting every DHL um, label, uh, uh, airway bill and, um, and, and TT Post airway bill, or not airway bill for TT Post, whatever, the envelope. Um, for the local orders. And, and it was just like, how, when is this country that I love so much, <laughs> um, you know, going to realize that all of these little um, issues are just, it's just hindering the economy here and, and business here. But anyways, so that's something else that, you know, luckily um, I've been able to solve with working with DHL directly, yeah. um, you know, and then there's things like, shipping and uh, importing 
uh, into Trinidad from Brazil. And, you know, now there's new laws here where I have to have a broker to clear, you know, if I bring in one bathing suit, I need to hire a broker to clear one bathing suit, you know, and, and it's just, you know, so that's my next hurdle um, that I have to kind of figure out how to best um, maneuver. But, you know, as you grow, there's so many things that you, it's, part of business you know and yeah. for anybody that thinks that it's always an easy road and it's glamorous is not i have missed lots of birthdays and weddings and uh you know limes with my friends because i had to make the decision to stay at home and work um and um, really put in those hours there's no work hours for me either you know like i work from the time i get up to the time i go to sleep um you know which has made this, you know, quarantine situation for me, actually, I think I'm thriving in it. Um, I have no complaints about it at all. I think <laughs> I really needed the time. Um, but, um, you know, that's, that's the reality of any business. You're going to have to deal with a lot of things, but, you know, that's what makes your business thrive or not, you know, whether you're persistent enough and willing to kind of deal with those problems and, and move along. You talked earlier on about, you know, you said, hey, you know, people could take a course, they could learn something, you know, what are the things that you do to sharpen the saw and, and up your game, right, and, and, and get better at? What are the things that, that you need to, yeah. and, what are the, and what are the things you do to, to, to keep up with that? So my, my next two projects is you know, I'm very excited about it. Um, but um, so two things I'm working on, which is my photography. So there's these online classes that I'm kind of taking online where you learn how to use, I have a camera and, you know, in my head, I'm a phenomenal yeah, photographer, right. but clearly, clearly there's things I need to learn, but that's, you know, an aspect of my business that I realized that I spend a lot of money on photography because I do so many collections and there's always so many pictures that need to come out. And sometimes it doesn't have to be a crazy, you know, like professional photographer, uh, professional uh, shot by a professional photographer. Sometimes it can just be a nice picture and I think I'm more than capable of doing that. So, you know, I got myself a camera and now I'm just learning those settings so, so I can kind of, you know, uh, handle that part of my business as well. That's, you know, another aspect of it that I'm getting better at so that I don't have to always keep hiring contracting photographers to do. Um, and the other thing is, um, you know, I'm very good with Illustrator and designing um, on that, but there's a new app I found out about the other day. And so I'm trying to learn how to use that app so I can sketch my designs more quickly on my phone or on my laptop. And then I can just forward that, um, you know, to whoever it is, that, whether it's my team in Brazil or whether it's, you know, um, the Bliss team here to see the sketches of the design. So I don't have to actually do it on paper and take a picture and send it and things like that. So my process is a little bit more professional gotcha. so those are the two things that i'm working on right now that's going to be helpful yeah um as you can have to manage people in different places you know a mix of cultures and and different things what have you um you know figured out about about building team and 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 people and kind of growing an organization that you know might be a little bit different than you thought when you were starting out what I've learned is that patience is the greatest virtue. You know, I've learned that, especially when you're working in Trinidad and you're working in Brazil, that's also a third world country, very similar to Trinidad. And, you know, there's a lot of setbacks that you have to be very understanding of. And, um, and then you're working with countries like the U.S. that's not understanding of those setbacks. So you're kind of like in this in-between place where you have to, 
mediate sometimes almost, you know. Um, but I think what I've learned and that's really important is to be patient with my team um, and then also being patient with whoever it is that I'm doing business with um, because sometimes just getting aggravating and fighting. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Sometimes you have to cuss a little bit to get things done. Sure. But a lot of times, um, you know, that sets like a negative precedence and, and, and that's not necessary. And sometimes you can get that same result if you really just communicate with love and understanding and patience. And, um, you know, I, I tend to try to put myself in other people's shoes. Um, and, you know, I am as patient as can be. And when I've reached the point where my business is going to be negatively impacted by your lack of um, efficiency, then I, then, you know, I say what I have to say a little bit more aggressively, but I think that the most effective and most efficient way of handling that um, is with patience and understanding because everybody's time and process is different. Um, and so once I am able to sit down and maneuver those and understand, you know, so like, for example, if I know that a particular team of mine, because I have different teams that work on different collections, if I know that a particular team of mine takes a little bit longer to, to deliver, then what I have to do is design with a little bit more time so that they have the time to deliver, you know? So then I adjust on my end to make sure that they meet my deadlines without necessarily communicating that with them. But you know, that's an adjustment that I have to make because I see that that's what the issue is, you know? Um, so little things like that. And, and um, it's actually quite, quite entertaining and um, also time consuming trying to figure it all out. And, you know, catering for everyone, but um, again, it's part of business, and it's part, it's, it is. it's part. It's part. It's part of the journey. Have there been specific things that you found, um, you know, for for the for the female entrepreneurs out there? Um, you know, have there been aspects of the journey that you're like, you know, what this might be a little bit more challenging for you, um, you know, almost out of the gate, but but here are ways that that you found to, to overcome them. No. And okay, so I've been asked this question before. Yeah. I've been asked this question before, and I know that every time that I'm asked this question, they want me to say yes, because that's the uh, that's the ideal answer. So you can have a nice follow-up explanation of what you did, um, you know, to show that you you, you know you you won that situation, you you thrived through it. But what I learned from very on is that you know, you create boundaries and you set the energy and the tone of your personality or your persona in a room. And if I go into a room and these people are aware that I am about my business, they are going to treat me as such. If they know that I'm easygoing and I'm unbothered about this and I don't care about deadlines, they're going to treat me as such. And so I'm always very clear um, about what I expect when I expect it, you know, it doesn't mean that I always get it, but I think I've always been very clear. So I, I, I can't recall, I mean, maybe it has happened and it just went right over my head because that's not what I was focusing on. Um, but I have never, I, I don't think I have ever been personally um, disrespected or, you know, thought of as less than um, as a businesswoman versus a businessman. Or anything like that. I think that I have always been very honest about who I am as a business person, and I think that they respond to that, you know. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and I think that's also important for, 
for every other woman. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just a woman. I'm also very small. I'm like five, five foot tall. And so I've, I've learned from a very young age that if I want to, you know, control the energy of a room, then I need to control the energy of a room, you know? Um, and so that's what I do. Great. So, so I think, you know, maybe a, a, a couple of final questions would be, you know, you, you've built a business that, as you've mentioned before, right? You know, you have customers now, um, you know, all over the world, right? And I think a, a core part of the ethos of this show is the idea that, you know, Caribbean leaders and, and entrepreneurs can have a global impact. Um, yeah. What would you say to the people kind of coming behind that have that ambition that you've learned about, you know, being global class and, and, and showing yourself at the global level? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, me having um, lived in these other countries for so long allowed me to not ever think of being in China as a limitation or being anywhere, period. Um, and I think that maybe that's what differs at times from someone that you know, was raised here and still live here and, and never had the opportunity to kind of step out of Trinidad. And they may think that the international market may not be interested in what they have to offer, but that's so far from the truth because, you know, like I've, I've shipped to, to some crazy countries, Australia, Switzerland, you know, I have customers there and I'm here in this small little island in the Caribbean. And sometimes I have no, no idea how they find me, no clue, you know, and sometimes I ask and sometimes, you know, it depends on the conversation. But at the end of the day, I have a map in my office um, that I scratch every time I have a new country that I ship to. I scratch up that country and I'm thrilled every time I get to scratch off a new country because that's exciting for me to think that this brand that is now, you know, rooted in this very, very small island in the Caribbean um, has such a reach, an international reach, a global reach, you know? And um, I remember the last time I was having issues um, clearing my my shipment from Brazil. I remember, you know, very, you know, uh, lovingly and um, um, with a lot of respect, uh, complaining to the customs officer. I was like, how it is that you're making it so difficult for me to, to import a product that's my own that I mean, that I created um, in another country, yes, but I'm importing it. And I'm then exporting it out of Trinidad. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to create something that's amazing here and y'all are making it difficult for me. And, you know, um, we have that conversation and at, at the end of the day, it, it goes beyond them, you know, they have bosses as well, but um, opportunities are limitless, limitless. And, you know, I, I never was good at seeing boundaries. So I guess in a way that worked out for me. Well, that was Chandra Maharaj, founder of Chandra Maharaj Designs, a company that shows what's possible when you design your fashion business for a world with fluid boundaries and don't let yourself conform to any specific box. If you'd like to be the first to know when the next episode drops, please subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform. And don't forget, share Uptick with a friend. On behalf of Caribbean Ideas and the Snapshot Network, this is Chike Farrell signing off. And remember, keep on ticking up.